This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. A card fraud spree in Seattle prompts a massive investigation, and a Colorado court's decision to overturn an identity theft conviction for misuse of a social security number stirs debate. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group with the Weekend Review for Friday, November 5th, 2010. A spree of payment card incidents at multiple retail locations in Seattle has prompted an investigation by law enforcement agencies. And security experts say these crimes can be expected to happen more frequently as credit and debit card fraud continues to evolve. During the last week of October, credit and debit card holders in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Seattle began discovering fraudulent charges made against their cards. The charges appeared to come from locations in other states and, in some cases, locations in other countries. Seattle authorities and the Seattle Division of the Electronic Crimes Task Force, an arm of the Secret Service, spearheaded investigations into the incidents. Authorities say they have identified multiple points of compromise, and the businesses involved have upgraded their antivirus software to stop the breaches. Skimming is not the suspected culprit, says Tom Wills, a security expert at Javelin Research. What's unusual here is that multiple merchants were compromised, Wills says, adding that skimming was unlikely. Wills, in fact, speculates that a local Seattle-based gang may have performed a Gonzalez-style point-of-sale hack. From there, we move into another hot and growing fraud problem, identity theft, and a Colorado court's decision to overturn a conviction that's based on the misuse of a stolen Social Security number. The court's decision has stirred debate among identity theft protection advocates, who argue the precedent set will set the industry back in its prosecution of those who steal Social Security numbers to take over identities. In short, they say the October 25 ruling by the Colorado Supreme Court provides a loophole for those who impersonate others. Mari Frank, an attorney and identity theft prevention advocate, says the social security number is the quote-unquote key to medical benefit theft, government theft, you name it. All the impersonator needs is a social security number to create a credit profile to establish loans and credit, she says. Clearly, most people, even judges, don't understand how vulnerable we all are if someone impersonates us with the only the theft of our social security number. Now, after this short break, I'll be right back with more news highlights from our week. Are you responsible for your institution's compliance program? Do ATM fraud, ACH fraud, and online fraud keep you up at night? Do you have any certifications which require continuing professional education credit hours? The solution to your problems may be the BankInfoSecurity.com Educational Webinar Library. You'll find plenty of courses that align with your core responsibilities. Visit BankInfoSecurity.com for more information on how to access these webinars. Why has industry-wide compliance with the payment card industry data security standard proved so challenging? PCI DSS is not new. The standard is six years old. And changes to the standard, though somewhat significant during the early days, have in recent years not been so dramatic. The council says the PCI DSS is mature and inclusive. And it wants to give the payments community a chance to catch up on compliance, in part to help smaller merchants ascend to the PCI compliance level of larger level four merchants. It appears, according to a new merchant survey, that the PCI Council's thinking is right on the money. In a survey conducted by ControlScan, a PCI compliance solutions company, and Merchant Warehouse, which provides credit card equipment and payments transaction processing, it was found that only 45% of micro-merchants even understand PCI DSS. And what's more frightening? About half of the micro-merchants who took the survey say they don't spend anything on PCI compliance. Every retailer and merchant needs to comply with PCI standards. 
It's time for everyone to get with the proverbial program, small merchants included. And what about incident response, if and when a security breach does occur? Georgia Kilcrease of the Software Engineering Institute says it's all about how you manage the incident that counts. But defining incidents response can be more challenging than a first glance might suggest. During an exclusive interview with editorial director Tom Field, Kilcrease shares her views about adequate incidents response. But looking only at the response part of the process misses some key action, which if not done in a timely and consistent or quality-driven manner will impact the overall response. So possibly delaying actions due to confusion and roles and responsibilities that people may have, ownership of the data and systems, and even the authority to take an action. And furthermore, response can also be delayed because of communications problems, not knowing whom to contact, not having the right contact information readily available. An incident response can be ineffective because of poor quality of the information about the event or the incident itself. So any impact on response timeliness and quality of information during an incident can cause further damage to critical assets. That's this week's Week in Review. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten. Have a great week. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.